Good afternoon. How are you all doing? Great, good, fantastic. Anyone bad? Good, if you are, keep it to yourself. This is church. We pretend we're all good. Um, my name is Josh Walker. For those that uh, don't know me, some of you may recognize me as the emperor of EBC. Um, just to let you know, we change names over there a lot. I am now Il Presidente. We've kind of gone with a uh, Spanish theme there. Um, Francis, we gave him a new title. Um, we went with Chancellor. You guys get it? Yeah, he's Chancellor. He thought it gets some good mileage out of that, so uh, we, we went with that. Um, pretty excited about what we get to do today. Um, just got to confess, this is uh, a message I really didn't want to preach, um, but I feel compelled to. And the main reason I didn't want to preach it is because it's just been so convicting as the Lord has taught me certain things about what we're called to live out. Um, and I realize how deficient my own life is. I just struggle with uh, standing up here and telling you guys to, to live it out when I struggle with it myself. Um, but I figure misery loves company, so we can all do that together. Um, so in light of that, I just want to uh, pause for prayer once again. Heavenly Father, um, we just bow before you right now as we come to think about the cross, to think about how our lives are to be lived in response to it. And as we come before your word, we want to just take time to humble ourselves before you. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and that he would speak to us. I pray that you would use my words to be your words. I pray that you would empower us not just to be hearers of your word. Lord, it's so easy for us to be hearers, but to truly live out what you call us to live out. Lord, we beg you, we beg you to send your spirit. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. So I was kind of curious why people come to Good Friday services. So this past week I was asking, you know, why people come. And the number one answer I got was tradition. It's just kind of like, oh, that's what you do. Um, You go and then the other thing I think some of you like to do is what I call Protestant penance, which is where you come kind of hoping that a Good Friday service is going to kind of be dim lights and candles and you're going to feel real bad about yourself because then after you feel real bad about yourself you leave and you feel really good that you felt really bad you guys you none of you know what i'm talking about right you you never do that um and you kind of want to walk away with that and i just got to warn you that's not what we're going to do uh no candles no feeling bad at least for that kind of sense um but what i want to do is to to take some time to, to meditate and think about the cross and even as we've been worshiping the one who hung on the cross but Most importantly, what I want to do is spend some time talking about what the cross means for our lives. What what does the cross mean for the way we are to live out today? And I think that that you'll begin to see that the implications of the cross are so significant for us in the way that that we are called to live it out. Um, You know, it's just kind of amazing. 1,975 years ago, I kind of say 2,000 sounds big, but it's actually, give or take a year, 1,975 years ago, A Jewish rabbi hung on a Roman cross outside the city of Jerusalem in the nation of Israel and died. And that rather obscure Jewish rabbi and his death has completely changed the world. And what we come here to celebrate today is to celebrate what he did and how it's transformed the world. And ultimately, we're going to talk about what it means to be followers of him. Now, last time I checked, what a follower does is walk the same way the leader walked. Right? Isn't that kind of what it means? Um, And so if our leader walked to a cross, what are the implications for us? 
And uh, what's that going to look like? Now, the nice thing is he not only walked to a cross, but he rose from a tomb. And so those that follow him will not only walk to a cross, but will rise from a tomb. But that's for Sunday. Um, you have to talk about that then. Turn to First Peter chapter 2, if you will, and that's going to be um, our text today. First Peter chapter 2. Uh, Peter, that uh, rather hard-headed, kind of brash disciple of Christ, uh, who was so dramatically transformed by Jesus' life, by um, his own betrayal of Christ and uh, the Lord's restoration. He penned this letter, and um, in chapter 2, he begins to talk, and we're going to read a, a rather large section here, um, but we're going to dwell on the last five verses for most of our time. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing what is wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now we're going to focus on these last five verses. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, Francis last week talked about being followers of Christ and being in step with the Spirit, right? I think a lot of us thought, oh, that's, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to follow Christ. But right here, Peter tells us what it means to follow Christ. He gives us one very concrete example of what it means to follow Christ. He says that you have, he has been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. I'm not sure if last week that's what you were thinking about when you thought, I want to follow in his steps. Were you thinking about Good Friday? Were you thinking about when you come to celebrate the cross that you're not only celebrating that he died for your sins, but you are also realizing you are identified with that crucified king and that he calls you to walk a life that leads to a cross. That you are called to walk that same sort of life. That, he, that you are the slave who is not greater than the master, as Jesus said. That you, you will follow in those same sort of footsteps. We are celebrating not only his death, but in some real sense we are celebrating our own death. Now notice what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8. Because he says this this idea of of suffering as you follow Christ isn't an option. You see, what he says here is you have been called for this purpose, right? Sorry, still in 1 Peter. You have been called for this purpose. 
Okay, this isn't an option like, okay, I want to follow Jesus, but then you can get the bonus package, which is just following Jesus plus suffering. And you get like a bonus reward in heaven. See, this word for called is the word that Scripture uses for when you repent and are saved by God. It's when he calls you out of your sin. Um, So when he calls you and redeems you out of your sin, he is calling you for the purpose of a walk of suffering. That's exciting, huh? Yeah, let's all sign up, right? Um, Unless you think Peter made this up, listen to what Jesus says in uh, Mark chapter 8. This is right after he he tells the disciples for really the first time, I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to die. And Peter rebukes him, right? Remember that? And Jesus looks at him and this is what he says. It says, he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and he said, this is Mark 8, 34. If, any would, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You see, he, he says that if you want to follow him, that you're going to carry your own cross. And this, this isn't, you know, we carry him around our necks and have him on our ears and various things. Um, this, this was a Roman symbol of death. When, when Jesus described this, he, they understood clearly what he was talking about. Now, what was it that Jesus was accomplishing on the cross? What was it that God was doing? And I think we, we just, we narrow it down so much. Sometimes we just miss the point. You go back to Genesis 1. Like, walk with me for a second. Genesis 1, okay, really kind of the beginning. Um, after God creates the world, he creates Adam and Eve, and he tells them something. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, right? And then you move over to Genesis 3, and in Genesis 3, they sin and curse, curse, curse. Remember that? Curse the man, curse the woman, curse the snake, curse the ground, curse, 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 curse. Move over to Genesis 12. You remember Genesis 12? He calls out Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm calling you out to do what? Bless, bless, bless. Right? You're with me? Genesis 3, curse, curse, curse. Genesis 12, bless, bless, bless. Okay, the bless, bless, bless is to fix everything that got curse, curse, curse. Okay? The entire world was put into subjection to sin back here. So what God started through Abraham was not just to save individuals, but was to reconcile the world to himself. Are you with me? Okay, in, in, in 1 Peter here, it says that he bore our sins on the cross. That is one essential component of it. And yet in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, it says that he was reconciling all things to himself. Romans chapter 8 talks about how the creation has been subjected um, to futility, until God is going to be restoring all things to himself. So if you want to think about what the gospel is, we go back to Genesis 1. God is king over the world, creates man to be his, uh, his rulers over the thing he's king over, right? Genesis 3, it goes into rebellion against him. So what you have from Genesis 3 all the way to the cross is a rebellious world that's saying, we don't care that you're our king, we refuse to live as your people, And through Israel, he demonstrates what his kingship should look like. But you're living in a world that's just rebellious, saying no. And at the cross, Jesus demonstrated that he is the king over this world. And the good news that we share is not just, hey, you get to be saved. The good news that we get to share is that the rightful king has come and has begun to restore 
this world and begin to bring his reign over this kingdom and over this earth. And kind of an exciting part of it is um, back here in Genesis 1, have you ever thought God didn't create the whole world finished? He didn't uh, create a whole uh, kingdom full of people and everything, right? He gave what I, what I call kind of the, the essential beginning of it, right? How many people does it take to start reproducing? Two. Good. I'm glad you guys figured that one out. Two. And how many did he create? Two, right? And did he create a whole earth that was, you know, filled with vegetation and everything? It says that he created a garden, right? And it seems like there were, it was very specific. And then told Adam, okay, I, man, you're created in my image. And what I've entrusted to you now is to take this thing that I've started giving you all, everything you need, I'm empowering you now to fill the earth with my reign as my kind of sub-rulers. You guys, you guys with me? I mean, you may not have ever thought about that before. It's kind of a strange thing. Now, when we get over here to the cross, I would submit to you that Jesus does exactly the same thing. That like that, the, at the beginning of the, old, of the new creation, when he is recreating, what he does is he starts it off, but then what he has left to his body of Christ here on earth is to continue to bring more and more of this world into submission to him. Right? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go out into all the world, to all the nations, teaching them to obey me. Right? to baptize them, disciple them, teach them to obey the Lord, right? The king, submit to the king. So that is what he has left for us to accomplish um, while we're here. So ultimately the gospel is an issue of declaring God's reign and his kingship being brought uh, to this world. Now see, I think the way sometimes we think about the gospel, and and it gets portrayed a lot, is kind of like this Big Mac. Um, so you go and, and you want to, you buy a Big Mac and you say, okay, I'd, you know, I'd like a Big Mac and you pay the money for it. And what, the way we do the gospel is like you open it up and all you find in here, it's going to be hard for you to see, but see a sesame seed? Remember the sesame seed bun, one of the little sesame seeds on top? Um, it's like we say, oh, it's all about personal salvation. Now, is personal salvation part of the gospel message? Yeah, but it's kind of like this little sesame seed. It's part of the whole package, but see... I didn't want a sesame seed. I wanted some meat and some cheese and some lettuce and some special sauce. And some of you probably know the song. I don't know the song. Um, Otherwise, I'd sing it for you, except for you wouldn't like that. I sing worse than Francis. Um, Serious. Um, This is what our gospel is like sometimes. We go around saying, oh, yeah, it's amazing. Look what God's done. Look, he's got this whole big package, and there's this little sesame seed around here. It's not just about personal salvation. You see, he is redeeming the entire world. He is setting everything to right. Now, does that include the sesame seed bun? Absolutely. Is it an essential part of it? Absolutely. I try and eat a Big Mac without the sesame seed bun. Be kind of messy, right? God is absolutely redeeming individuals and setting individuals free from their sin. But it's only part of the whole picture. You see, he's trying to set the whole... He is not trying. He is setting the whole world right and setting us all free, and setting the world free from sin. Now, how is he accomplishing it? Look back at 1 Peter 2 with me. How is it Jesus is accomplishing these things? 1 Peter chapter 2, um, verse 22, he says, He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus was what I like to call a sin sponge. 
Because this is the way the world normally functions. I sin against you, and you get pretty mad about that, and you probably retaliate against me and sin back at me. And then at the same time, you get kind of mad at your husband because, um, you know, you're mad at me, so you're going to be mad at someone else. So you get mad at him, and then he retaliates against you, and then he gets mad at the kids, right? This is how sin works, right? And it just kind of multiplies itself. Now, what would happen if I sinned against you, and instead of you retaliating, you just absorbed it? Said, mm, not going to retaliate, not going to get mad. You're a sin sponge, right? That's exactly what Jesus said. He refused to revile when he was reviled. He refused to retaliate every time. And he just absorbed it into himself and said, I will not continue this. Now, when we let that happen, think through this with me. When someone sins against me and I respond sinfully towards anyone, either in retaliation, I just let sin reign over me. I just let sin become my king because it just dictated what I was going to do. Does that make sense? So every time you respond that way, you are letting sin have power over you and have strength over you and dominate you, and it will lead you to death. Now, on the other hand, if when someone sins against me, I choose to just absorb that, well, the only way I can do that, who, who lives in us as Christians? The Christ's spirit, right? How did Christ live? He was the one that reviled, was reviled and didn't revile in return. His spirit living in us now empowers us to be that same kind of sin sponge. That when we're out in the world, people can sin against us and we just absorb it and we refuse to let it go out. Are you with me? Love your enemies. Some of this stuff sound familiar from Jesus? Um, he wants you to be a sin sponge and not be out there retaliating against every, everything. Now, if, if the gospel is about the reign of Jesus Christ... And about bringing that rain to this world, there's a couple things we have to keep in mind. Um, one is the ultimate goal of everything we do. Listen to me carefully. The ultimate goal of everything we do is to see the kingship of Christ come to bear. Now, we've had a lot of discussion lately, and it's something I just love about Cornerstone, is that we, we talk about what you'd call, in the broadest term, social justice. We talk about um, problems of child trafficking, of sex slaves, of poverty around the world of um aids and mossy foot and on and on right all these problems in the world and how we're trying to impact them now here's the point is that those aren't the problems see the problem isn't the slavery it isn't the child trafficking the problem isn't the disease and all that the problem is that the reign of jesus christ is not being manifested in those places and when we realize that what it does is it we keep that as the primary goal but it forces us to have to deal with those things because every place those kind of things are manifested, it's manifesting that that part of God's creation is still in rebellion against him. Do you follow? Everywhere that's going on, rebellion against him. And so our job is we, we're supposed to be out there proclaiming and bringing that into submission to him. Okay? But the third, and I just think such a strong implication of this, is that it also dictates the way in which we're to do it. You see, when we think about the cross, I I mentioned it earlier, but I I just want to emphasize, this was a symbol of Roman power, okay? Caesar used this as a demonstration of his power. Where was it that Jesus hung on a cross? Where was it placed? Right outside the city gates. Do you know why they hung the criminals on a cross right outside the city gates? So everyone could see him, right? Because Caesar wanted to say, look, you rebel against me, This is what happens to you. This is a symbol of my power. 
and my power is exerted through violence and death. I will take you down if you mess with me. That was Caesar, and that's what this symbolized to him. Do you see what Jesus did? He completely co-opted and stole his symbol of power and said, no, let me show you how God's power is demonstrated. God's power is demonstrated through suffering and through death, and through that I will overcome what Caesar can never overcome. You see, the way the world likes to operate is through power and through violence and through manipulation and coercion. And the way we are called as Christians to operate is by being willing to suffer, submitting ourselves, being servants of all. Do you remember Jesus washing their feet and looking at the disciples and saying, look, this is the way you have power in my kingdom is by getting down and serving other people. So when we're talking about wanting to change things around the world, when you're thinking about social justice, you're thinking about child trafficking, you have to realize it's not just about changing it the way the world would want you to, but changing it the way that Christ would have us. It actually dictates the way that we have to do it, which becomes much more difficult. Now, I think there's probably three types of people that are here, three types of people in the church in general, not you. Well, you can put yourself if you want. Um, There's some of you that are here, and... Um, you really don't care about the problems around the world. You don't care about any of that stuff I just talked about. I mean, maybe in a little bit, you kind of think, oh, yeah, I feel a little bit bad about that. Um, so you don't really want to change it. You know, maybe you kind of want to, you want to change a little bit of your own life, and that's kind of about it. So that's kind of type one. Type two is, is a group of people, and I think the majority of us probably fall into this category, where we, we're sensitive to all those problems and we feel really bad about them, but the main ways that we're trying to impact them, and it's usually out of ignorance, but it's the way the world would. We look at the way the, you know, the business world and everything functions and we try and use those methods to get rid of these things. But you see, what you're doing is you're dealing with the symptoms when what we have to do is come to bear on the, the underlying problem, which is a lack of the kingship of Christ. And so there's a third type of person, which is those that, are, that care about these problems around the world and are willing to try and change them the way that Christ would have us change them. And I, I know I'm just talking, talking in vague terms. So let's talk real practical. Um, how many of you think, um, I don't know if how many of you saw Lana the other week, but how many think child trafficking is a bad thing and think it should be changed? Come on, I need all the hands, not like 75%. That's, okay, you think it's a bad thing, right? Okay, now, how many of you would be willing, so you're at least in the first category, right? You at least kind of know there's problems. How many of you would be willing to um, vote for a law or maybe give some money or give a little bit of your time to try and change it? Uh, that's not too bad, right? Um, how many of you would be willing to sell everything you have, take your family, and move to Thailand, knowing that one of your children will probably die from an illness while you're there, and that you will be separated from your family at great personal expense in order to change child trafficking. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to show hands for that one. Um, you see, when we talk about changing these things in a Christ-like way, which one of those most demonstrates the way that Christ did for us, right? He, he walked to the cross at great personal at, at, at expense of everything, right? He came from heaven and gave up everything he had. You, know, you think selling your house and moving to Thailand is a big deal? He gave up everything in heaven to come down to us, right? So yours isn't such a big deal. He died the worst possible death that you can imagine. And if you want to accomplish a change in that thing, that's the way it looks. Now, I know that may be a little big for you. Um, one of our professors at, at the Bible college, it was amazing. He, he heard Lana the other week, and he said, look, I, I've heard this twice, and what I'm scared is going to happen is my heart's going to get calloused, 
and I've just got all these statistics in my head. I either don't want to hear about it again or I want to do something. And so he called me and said, I, I just want to go over there and I just want to replace statistics with faces in my mind. I want to see what I can do if I can change one person's life. And so I said, yeah, you can have some time. He said, I'm just going to buy the ticket myself, personal expense, off he's going. Right? It's the first step for him. And f- for each one of you, you just you start thinking, what is the first step that is actually going to cost me something in order to accomplish it? You see how you start to absorb the penalty into yourself by allowing it to cost you things. Let's talk about a second example. AIDS is a pretty big deal. You guys heard of it? Yeah. Uh, Africa, huge problem, right? One of the probably um, most hopeless places you would ever go is an AIDS hospital in Africa. These are people who are despairing. They've been ostracized. People don't visit them. It's just one of the most hopeless, horrible places you would go. How many of you think that's a problem? Yeah. How many would give money, you know, give a little bit of time? Okay, how many of you would sell everything and move over there, live among them, knowing it's likely that you or one member of your family might get AIDS? You see, this is the kind of way he's calling us to change the world. Now, those are moving overseas, and I know some of you are like, "Ah, I never move overseas. I'm called to Simi Valley. Remember that? Um, Okay, so let's talk on another level. Um, My kids started kindergarten last year, and I have a friend that started, he and I have been talking through a lot of these issues together. And he asked me, he said, you know, we've been working with some of these schools. And you know how you can get um, the performance of the schools? You can find out which are the good schools and which are the bad schools. And here in CME, you can pick what school you want to go to. And so he br- brought up the idea. He said, well, what if we did this? Because what's your first reaction? Get them in the best school you can, right? Why? So they can grow up to make lots of money. That's a real Christian motivation. Um, he brought up this. He said, what if... We actually sacrificed our kids' education by putting them in one of the least performing schools, knowing that then we would be able to be involved there and help those families and and help walk with those families and strengthen them. Are we willing to sacrifice our kids' education in some degree in order to bring the gospel to bear and to begin to change that injustice that's there and begin to change those things? You know, we can go on and on with examples. I um, I have a, a, a friend... Her mom, um, at a church that I was at previously, she found out that a stranger in the congregation needed a kidney transplant. And through a set of circumstances, found out that she was a match for the kidney transplant. Someone she didn't know. And she said, I'm willing to do it. She got the kidney transplant. That person is now gone. They've disappeared. Not, you know, not around anymore. And she is suffering lifelong consequences, physical consequences from giving up the kidney. Is that something you'd be willing to do? Are you with me? Do you see how it's Christ-like? That's truly the Christian way to it. At great personal, emotional, financial, physical sacrifice, we, we allow the, the suffering and the significance of sin to come to bear on us, and we allow in some small way to pay the price so that other people might be set free. I want to read a quote for you. This is written in the first century. This is a very early Christians. Clement of Rome is writing to this, uh, the church in Corinth, same one Paul wrote to, right? And this is what he says in First Clement, his letter to them. He writes, We know that among our, many among ourselves, many among ourselves, have delivered themselves to bondage. Okay, he's talking about slavery, right? Slavery was still very common in those days. That they might ransom others. Did you catch what he said? Many Christians were selling themselves into slavery to use the money to buy other people out of slavery. 
Listen to what he says after that. Many have sold themselves to slavery and receiving the price, receiving the price paid for themselves, have fed others. I read that in the first one. It's like, wow, that's huge. Sell yourself into slavery to redeem a slave. But can you imagine selling yourself into slavery in order to feed some hungry Christians? You know, we read the book of Acts and we say that's what we want to be. This is the book of Acts. This was written in 96 AD. This is still the early church. They understood that Christ's message was, you're going to take my cross. You want to be a follower of me? This is what it's going to look like. You're going to walk up a Calvary Hill and, and you're going to, your life is no longer what matters. And you know, you, know why that it's, you know why we can do this? Because of Sunday. Death no longer has power over us, right? Sin no longer has power over us. Fear, none of that should have power over us because of what happened on Sunday. That he not only died, but he rose again. We get to identify not only with his death, but with his resurrection. See, if we're ever going to impact this world, it isn't going to be by using the world's means. The Christian church will not transform and bring this world under the lordship of Christ by using the world's means. It will only by, be by doing stuff like Christ did and truly following him and walking that path. Now, I, I am so aware and so concerned that at this point we're all just going to feel kind of guilty and miserable and realize, you know, we're just worms. And I got to confess to you that it's just like I, I'm not coming close to figuring out how to live this out in my own life. And there's just a couple things I want to I close with. One is to realize that God is incredibly gracious. Okay, he, he's not looking down and condemning you. What he says is that here's what I, what I do for you is I'm going to open a little bit of a window and you need to obey and follow. And I'm going to open the window a little farther and you're going to see more. And as you see more, you're called to be more and more obedient as we walk this road together. God is incredibly gracious as he walks us through this. He's not going to condemn us. He wants to be gracious and help us and, and shepherd us through this. Because something that we... It's so hard for us to understand. This is, this is where deciding whether to go this way or to go the world's way is ultimately a question of faith. Do you really believe that the reward that you'll get in heaven is an enduring and a better one, in the words of the writer of Hebrews? Do you really believe it is? Because if so, then you'll be willing to live this way, right? It truly is a better way to live. It's what Jesus says. Now, when we don't live that way, aren't we implicitly saying, well, I'm not really sure. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll test the waters a little bit. You know, maybe I'll go over to Thailand and see. And that's where a lot of us need to start. Let's kind of dip our toe in the water and start to see and see if it really is better. So first, just remember, God is gracious. Second, we're in this together. Don't go out and try and make decisions on your own and think, okay, you know, I'm going to go change this. God has called us to be a family, and he says we are the body of Christ where all the members together function the way he wants us to. See, not every single one of you is called to do each one of those things. But to, together we're to encourage and exhort each other. Remember Hebrews says we're to encourage one another, stimulate one another to good deeds. This is the kind of stuff where when you gather with other Christians, you need to be talking through, okay, like how, how can I live this kind of stuff out in my life? And we're asking people, where do you see in my life that I'm not living this out? We're in this together. And then finally, and I think probably most importantly, when Christ left, he said, I'm going to send someone. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Because to, to live like Christ is impossible apart from his strength. So we have to depend on the Spirit's strength. We cannot try and do this on our own. It's the only way that we possibly can live this kind of stuff out and actually do it. But you know what I get excited about? We can change the world. 
we can literally begin to bring different areas into submission to Christ. The stuff that bothers us so much, the injustice around the world, we can see it begin to come into submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can only do it through our own sacrifice. And are you willing to walk in his steps? Jesus was a sin sponge, took it upon himself, didn't retaliate. Are you willing? Do you really want to be a follower of Christ, as we talked about last week? You want to follow him? Because following him means that's where you go. Um, and Jesus didn't you know, beat around the bush. Before someone would follow him, he said, look, oh, hold on. Consider the cost. You need to understand this is what it's going to look like. If you want to follow me, and if not, then, then that, that's good too. Yeah, that's not really the way he said it. It's not good too. He wept over it. Um, we're going to have a time of communion. And there's two things I want you to, what we're going to do. I'm going to do the thing that you guys hate, um, which is have you kind of get in little groups. And I know you guys don't like each other and you hate talking to each other and that really upsets you. Um, so some of you are probably going to bolt out the door. See, caught you, bolting out the door. She's like, no, 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 I had to get my kid. Um, and so, yeah, see, no one else getting up, are they? Um, I want you to talk about two things. The first, la- the first Last Supper, that doesn't make sense. Uh, when Jesus instituted the Last Supper, it was a Passover meal. At Passover, the Jews would gather once a year to celebrate God's deliverance out of Egypt. They'd been enslaved, and God set them free in a miraculous way. Every year, they got together to remember how they'd been set free. So as you get together, one thing I want you to share with each other is how you've been set free by Jesus. And some of you may not be set free. Some of you may be here saying, you know what? I'm not. I'm in bondage. Sin has got a hold on me like you would not believe. Some of you may be deceived and not even realize that, but you can even confess that and say, you know, look, here's where I'm at. I need to be delivered out of my bondage. And you guys can talk about that. The other thing is that both Jesus and Paul, talking about the Last Supper, said do this in remembrance of Christ. Um, So take some time to just share about things that you remember about Christ, about um, his death, his life, parables he told. Just some of, you know, like at a funeral, you get up and talk about all the great things about the person who died. That's kind of what this ought to look like. We ought to be talking about Jesus and, and all they meant to us. So get in groups of five or six, and they'll be passing. Hopefully it won't be too disturbing. Uh, take the bread and cup, and then we'll all partake together at the end. Okay, go. Green light. <laughs>